0: broadcasting from atlanta georgia you are now live from the midnight circus this is lahamadu i've got one hell of a show for you today today our featured artist is rebecca downs she's got a brand new release out we'll be listening to tracks from that and of course we'll be talking with rebecca at the top of the hour you're not gonna want to miss this interview Now, this is the voice of Indie Blues. This is the show that brings you nothing but currently touring artists who are out there creating new, original music rooted in the blues. We embrace the diversity of music that always has and still is being created from those roots. Now, if you get a chance, stop by our website at makingascene.org. We've got some great articles, CD reviews, artist interviews, and so much more. In the meantime, I have got some great new music I know you're gonna love and some great new artists that I just can't wait to introduce you to and of course I aim to misbehave.
1: Looking after me. Looking after me.
2: Looking after me. Jesus had my soul. Jesus had my hand, I couldn't
1: get by her. She just couldn't understand. Got my rider.
3: So I'm going to take this time. I know I said it before, but I'm, I'm going to bring out a special guest
4: right now. Um, uh, my good friend, I met this dude years ago, like 20 years ago. Please put your hands together. Mr. Jason Ritchie.
5: To blues in a smoke-filled nightclub on the edge of town. It's a pleasant environment, but uh, but in the 21st century,
1: uh, you know you don't even have to leave the couch. Just turn on the TV in commercials or
5: as theme songs. You will see and hear the blues are everywhere. I'm Elwood.
6: Fee-
0: and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over Become part of the indie revolution.
7: Gonna rock these shades. Gonna scream my name. Make you shout now, honey.
5: Gonna make.
0: And now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Rebecca Downs. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. Line right now. Hey, Rebecca, how are you?
8: I'm good, Richard. I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing pretty well. Now, uh, you've been on the show before and you've been around a while, but you know, I always like to give our fans this opportunity to really get to know an artist. And the best way to do that is through your journey, how you got to where you are today. So give us the story of Rebecca Downs. <laughs>
8: Oh, my word. Um, Well, I guess in kind of a short script, it's I grew up with, you know, listening to swing and jazz from my parents. So that was kind of, you know, grew up on Ella Fitzgerald and and Frank Sinatra and Julie London and people like that. And um, kind of navigated my way to rock and blues through there. And then I joined my first band when I was 13. So, and that was the, we were gigging at 13. We were writing our own music. Um, I was writing my own music. I've always kind of written songs, even before I could play the guitar. I used to kind of just make them up on the playground, you know, when people said, oh, you, you know, just make up a song, Rebecca. So I'd just make something up. And um, learned the guitar, like, started learning the guitar at like 11. And all I ever wanted to do was write songs. I didn't want to learn solos. I didn't want to do any of that. So that was really boring. <laughs> Just wanted to write. Um, Gig the songs that I'd written and some of the guys in the band had written and then went from band to band to band, you know, our bands break up, they get back together, they move around. Um, Sometimes I was in, you know, two or three bands at one time. It's mainly all been original music um, with some, you know, kind of covers thrown in. And the, the guys that I am in now, he kind of came about when I met my wonderful co-songwriter, Steve Burkett, who's also the lead guitarist and we met about 11 years ago, and we were just kind of messing around a little bit in in kind of a fun band. I was kind of just trying to have a bit of fun. I'd sort of got a little bit jaded with the whole music scene, and then I was talking to him and saying, you know, do you, you know, I write some songs, do you want to, you know, have a listen? And he said, well, yeah, I've, I've always written songs. He'd been signed previously with a band to a label, and so we got together and kind of shared songs, and I just said, "We've got to, we've got to stop playing covers. We've got to start doing this. You know, both of us have got to start doing this again." I think we'd both got jaded. He'd been, you know, on a roller coaster journey, as had I, within the music industry, and we just said, "You know what? We're just going to write songs we love. So let's do that." And that's kind of how the Rebecca Downs band came about was. Him and me thinking, well, we just want to write, write and play songs we love, so let's just do it. Okay. So, short history.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, let's talk about that process of songwriting, because, you know, uh, every good release has to start with good songs. So, when you sit down to begin that process, what, what is kind of your mechanism that gets you going, that starts, you know, that taps you into your muse?
8: I mean, for me, and I I know it's the same for Steve, and I know I'm talking for him, but it's kind of, it, it turns itself on and it can be any which way where I am. I can be in the car. I can be you know in a break i can be just sat in front of the television and it's never quite switched off so my phone and i know his phone is full of audio files of us singing you know me or him singing some random thing into the phone for me it's very late at night a lot of the time it happens so like you know after midnight These ideas just come through and I'll be singing them into my phone, trying to be quiet, you know, like midnight or one or two in the morning. And for him, it's really early in the morning. He gets the inspiration coming through. And that's the way it's been, I think, for both of us all the way through our lives. So it's never, for me, I I kind of, it's interesting for me to talk to other artists that just go, okay, well, I'm going in the studio, so I'm going to set so many weeks aside to write for me that's it's never been the way and and that's how me and steve work is that there's always you know a myriad of ideas to look at and work through to see you know what we can get out of them so it's kind of It doesn't really kind of need turning on in a way. Sometimes it's annoying that because you think, I really want to go to sleep, but there's something whizzing around your head that you have to put down. So it's always been that way. And I think, I just hope it never stops, really. I just hope it carries on.
0: Now, you know, I always find that melody and lyrics are really kind of two functions of the brain because lyrics is more of a craft that you... The more you do it, the better you get at it, um, and you have a very structured elements to it. Like you know, you have to have a story, and then continuity, and meter, and rhyme. But melody's different. It's a different function of the brain. Um, when you sit down to begin that process of finding your melodies, you know some writers like to work off of just a, a groove, something rhythmic. Others like Mm. to have a chord structure. What is your go-to when you look for the melodic ideas for your songs?
8: Um, For me, generally, it is a chord sequence. um, And we've, we've just written a song the other day, and sometimes, you know, Steve will come up with a chord sequence and we'll get together, and immediately the melody line pops out, like you just said. It's some part of your brain that just triggers itself and kind of writes the melody for you and i know i've heard other songwriters say that it's almost like you don't know where it's come from yourself you couldn't actually go oh yeah that you know you couldn't describe how or why that melody has come about but you know that that's the one that works with the track for me as well because i think it's a you know the singer element a lot of the times when i'm coming up with my own ideas I just come up with a melody and a lyric line together without any chords or anything like that. It just pops into my head. And that's, those are the things that are generally recorded on my phone in the middle of the night is a lyric idea that has the melody in it, which is normally a hook line of some description. So it's normally a chorus line or a hook line and you know, a middle eight hook line. But for me, and I know Steve's like this as well, you know, you, When we've got a chord bed structure, we definitely, we both know kind of what the melody line should should be. And it's really weird because whenever we work together in that capacity, because sometimes we work separately and then bring the songs together and sometimes we work totally together in the same room, we're always going along the same lines melody-wise. We're never too far apart with what it should be. I've never heard him come out with a melody line and think, oh, no, I don't think that's, you know, I think we can do, you know, it's always like, oh, yeah, that's what I had in mind, too. So, you know, other songwriters, when I've tried to work with other people in the past, it's not been like that. We're so on the same same wavelength. It works, although I do know sometimes Steve does work with a groove as well, although I never do, never do.
0: Okay. Now, you had mentioned that, you know, you're, you get up in the middle of the night and you record these lyrical ideas into your phone. Uh, and a lot of songwriters have embraced that technology, you know, that we have today as tools in their toolkit. What are some of the tools you have found to be indispensable to you as a songwriter that technology has brought our way?
8: Um, As a songwriter, without a doubt, being able to, you know, record a voice note the way we do now. I know we take that totally for granted and then just, you know, WhatsApp it or message it to someone. But I remember starting out writing songs with guitars, as I say, 11, 12 years old. And what I'd have to do, because I had no way of recording it, I had like a really cheap tape cassette at the time, I think, when I was a kid. So... I just had to keep playing it over and over and over again, hoping that I wouldn't forget it. So that's just, you know, an unbelievable tool. But I guess the other thing is, you know, access to things on your phone, again, at the drop of a hat, like, you know, uh, multi-track recorders on your phone. So you could set a beat going. You could actually produce like a tiny little demo from your phone. It's just such an unbelievable tool really and a tiny little inf- i've got a tiny little vocal interface that i kind of carry around with me and it's pocket sized and i can connect any microphone i've got to that and record a really decent quality vocal into my phone yes. you know on a multi-track recorder you know and it's just so if i'm anywhere if i'm away on holiday if I'm, i can put something down like that and and send it to steve or and it's you know he's got a real clear idea of what that is you know it's just yeah it's amazing i think technology in that respect
0: now what are you using as far as your software on your phone for that multi-track are you using band lab or songwriter pad or what what is that that um that app
8: i'm just using garage band on my phone oh okay Okay. Yeah, yeah, because that's like the easiest one to use. Because it, it, you know, even though it's quite it's um, you know, it's quite a, a standard, basic thing. You don't want anything too intricate on your phone. Right. So you can, you know, you can put down a beat with that. You can make sure the timing's right. So if I send a vocal idea with a basic chord sequence, even if I haven't got my guitar with me, I can put a basic chord sequence down. I can set the the meter so. I know it's in time and I can send that as a file to Steve and he can pull that straight into Logic and start messing around with it you know it's such a an amazing thing to be able to do when you I don't know sat in a hotel room or you know away from your home it's it's crazy good
0: yeah definitely now uh, of course every songwriter gets to that point where they have to put the pen down and that is really a a real pivotal point in the life of a song where you decide that the writing phase is finished and we need to move it into the production phase now it, it constantly evolves you know because the producer you know has their input the band has their input and even as you play it out it, it still evolves you know from that point but you got to mm-hmm. get to the point where you move it to that next phase mm-hmm. how do you determine when a song is ready to move to the production phase, or you can give it to the band?
8: Well, uh, working with Steve, what, what he does, and what we do together, but he actually produces this, is produce really high quality demos. So we, I always write, as he said, you know, I, I give him a complete song. I never just give him an idea of a song. It's like it's got all its verses, a middle eight, choruses, you know. It, so it's like the structure of it and the the base of what it is, you know, is there if I give him a song. Um, and then what we do is we work together on creating like a sonic landscape and an idea for what we want. So Steve will put down bass ideas. um, We'll work, you know, we'll be throwing those around together. What sonically the the guitar should sound like, how the drum pattern should play out. And by the time we've sat with a demo, and that'll be polished up, there'll be BVs on it. There'll be, you know, it's sounding like a fully, you know, fully fledged demo. By the time we've worked on that and i say it's the, i'm using the royal we because my ideas will be there but steve will be doing the work god bless him um we've got something that we can give to the band and go okay this is how we envision the song this is what we see the song and where we see it going now over to you so it's kind of okay we've got these ideas for the drums these ideas these for the hammond or the keys or the bass let's see what you got okay but it's only it's only after we've reached like a really happy point between us with like that demo that we will do that
0: all right well let's talk about going into the studio because having good song is it's only part of the equation you have to create not only its identity but identity for you as an artist that sound that uniqueness that sets you apart from other artists when you get into that environment of the studio what is your process that helps you capture the sound you're looking for
8: vocally um for me because i'm a vocal tutor as well and i'm obsessed with vocals um for me a massive part of it and i try to tell my students this is getting the right sound in your cans in your headphones and people sort of kind of sometimes throw that away a little bit like they don't think about it as much as they should i don't think and i think especially with vocals and the different textures vocally that you're gonna you know as a singer try and put on a track the way that those headphones are set up, the way that you can hear your voice in comparison to the track is absolutely paramount. So you can use all the most expensive mics in the world. I've used, you know, like a, a £20,000 microphone at somebody's studio. And then, you know, you'll use, you know, a couple of hundred-pound mic, you know, somewhere. It, to me, it's, it's it doesn't matter. It's all about... How comfortable you feel in order to get those textures and tones across and the dynamic control that you've got, and it's good. so I will take ages getting that right. Luckily, when we put the demos down with Steve, he knows exactly how I like my cans set up, and then we just adjust from there to whichever track it is. But as a vocalist, that is to me one hundred percent paramount
0: okay now um, let's talk a little bit about the lineup who's playing on it okay
8: on the uh, album we've just released the space between us we've got Steve Burkett on pretty much everything <laughs> well, we've got him on rhythm guitar lead guitar um, he did some of the bass work on a couple of tracks uh, backing vocals We've got my dear friend, Neil Ablod on drums. We were in a band together when we were like 18, 19 years old. So it's great to have him back in the fold. Um, we've got Nigel Darville who toured America actually back in the day with a band called the Fine Young Cannibals and has played with a lot of great artists and he's on Hammond and keys. He's a great guy. And we've got Vince Yarrington on some of the bass tracks
0: okay now um, of course once you get something recorded uh, you have to get it out to the press you have to get it out to radio um, and you're working with a PR agent uh, in in England tell me a little bit about that relationship
8: it's, I, I always find that, you know, over the years I've been doing it, that um, finding the right people to work with is, is actually quite difficult. Um, and there's a lot of people in the music industry that are maybe not that easy to um, kind of collaborate with or to speak to sometimes. I tend to want to, I don't know whether it's the same for the males, but kind of boss you around a little bit as a, as a female. So, yeah. Um, We've worked now for some years with a lady called Lisa Bardsley, who's a a great woman. And what's more important, really open and honest, which I think is really important for somebody that works in um, kind of any kind of plugging or anything like that. You know, I think there's a lot of people out there who will promise you the world if you just give them the money, which is fair enough. You know, that's how some people work, but... Um what I who of the people that I like to work with are the people that will actually give me a real honest answer? Sometimes it might not be the answer I like, but I know it's honest and I can trust it. There's also another guy we're working with um, at the moment. We haven't signed any contracts or anything like that, so I won't mention his name in case he doesn't want me to. but again, a a man that you can have a two way conversation with. And you know that he's going to actually speak the 100% truth to you. So if he doesn't think you should be doing something or he doesn't think that it's the right approach, he's going to say it and for the right reasons. So I'm very lucky to have a lot of people um, around me that I, I find that are very honest. And also my amazing manager, Colin Speller, who does so much work, so much work in the background. And again, completely honest to the point truthful which is a commodity that i very much value
0: okay now um let's talk about the the industry a little bit um things have changed over the course of the last 20 years with the digital revolution where streaming has become you know the way the consumer consumes music no matter how much we bitch about it it's not going to change i mean it Mm -hmm. is the reality that we live in and one of the the um results of this new way of consuming music is now the consumer no longer looks at the recorded projects that we put out as a product anymore this was the the mainstay of independent artists is you know selling cds from the stage and And basically, you know, that was the centerpiece of our merch tables. But that's now disappearing. You know, you can't go to the store anymore and buy CD players. You can't buy a car with a CD player in it anymore. Um, How has this shift in in perception by the consumer uh, affected you as an artist?
8: Okay, well, there's two sides to this for me, I have to say, because um, luckily um, a lot of people that come to our shows will support us and support similar artists by actually buying our vinyl or CDs or T-shirts, even though they may stream them as well. they They kind of take it away. I think somehow it's become almost like a souvenir in a way, like you get the artist to sign it. I'm not saying that's right, but um, I'm very grateful that a lot of people where we do gigs still actually buy the CDs and and the vinyl, you know, kind of direct from us rather than going to like, you know, an online huge retailer. Um, But I know exactly what you mean about streaming, and it is now you know, become something that nobody sees that they should pay for, if they can't, fight, if they don't have, you know, a streaming service they, if, they, if they don't subscribe to that they'll just go on YouTube or whatever it is that, you know, they can access it from, and if they want they can illegally download it from there it's, you know, it's not rocket science right. um, I just think We've got as well a massive... People don't talk about this side of the problem with streaming, I think. And this is especially with Spotify that is predominant in the UK and Europe, is the fact that you can go on there and you can see how many streams people have, how many monthly streams they have, how many followers they have, how many streams they've had on each track. And what's been happening is that people buy a lot of fake streams, sometimes even the record companies Mm -hmm. to make it look like their artist is doing better than an artist over there or better than an artist over there and and it's you know that won't go into it in mass detail it's very easy to find out if those streams are fake or not there's various countries where those fake streams come from and It's very easy to see that on Spotify if you go behind the artist's profile. So a little bit of investigation and a little bit of Google searching as to who those crunches are, you'll find it. Um, I understand the desperation of an artist wanting to see that they have more monthly listeners than the other artist in the room, and I understand that, and I'm not knocking anyone. But because of a lot of the illegal plays, the paid-for streams on streaming services... The the actual cost per play to the artist is being pushed lower and lower and lower. So absolutely, streaming services, as a general, don't pay anything, hardly to the artist. But because of this need, and I understand it, because there's, what is it, 100,000 songs uploaded to Spotify each day or something like that, or streaming services each day. people feel that they've got to compete. Well, if my song hasn't had as many streams as the next song, then, oh, you know. And it's, it's a very competitive industry where numbers get shown up on a screen. And I think that's something that people don't really talk about, and obviously people buy fake YouTube views and all this kind of thing. And you think we're kind of, in a way, we've got to all be a little bit more honest as well. Um, I'm gonna hold my hand up and say in the past, I've really wanted to buy fake streams because I felt like everyone else is doing it, so I need to do it as well. Luckily, my manager, Colin Speller, just threw his lifeless body in front of me and said, Don't you dare, and so I never have, but I know. I can understand that why people would do that. So I think there's, a, there's that that's a real problem as well. Obviously, with iTunes, you don't, Apple Music, you don't actually get that. So, you know, like, there's no figures shown. Right. And surprisingly, we do way better on Apple Music than we do on Spotify, which is... But, so I think it's a... And I think the the world of streaming and the YouTube videos and the Facebook likes and the Instagram followers and, you know, all that kind of thing, Twitter followers, it's made the music industry even more competitive and insecure than it was prior to having an internet, if you know what I mean. Because I think the mental health... Uh, statistics on musicians and artists are exceptionally poor. So the majority of musicians and artists have serious mental health issues.:
0: <laughs> It's true. Well, I, and I agree with you. <laughs> as someone who has worked with many artists, you know, it is not the most stable group of people.
8: No, And throw into that mix the, the numbers game. So-and-so's got more likes than me on Facebook. So-and-so's got more view- views than me on YouTube. Um, you know, there's been a number of suicides and stuff like that to be a little bit serious for a minute um, in my sector and people, bands that I know. And I just think the pressure, I think we've all got to try, and. and I tell this to my kind of younger students, that it's your own journey. Don't look at other people. Don't look at other artists like that. Try and just stick to your own journey and go ahead with it because you can't compete with everyone because you're just going to get yourself into a mess. So that side is, is I think, sometimes not spoken about with streaming, but I just thought I'd bring that up because I think we all need to get a little bit more. Let's not give money to these unscrupulous Mm. companies that, you know, will just get a load of bots to play your music. You want real people listening to your music. That's what we all want. We write songs because we want people to listen to them i don't want a bot playing my music in Chile i want I want somebody if there's only one person listening to it in Atlanta, Richard, you know what that's far better than ten thousand bots isn't it so i'll go with that The streaming thing I think what the subscription A monthly subscription that some people are kind of doing now as independent artists is kind of coming forward, not just Patreon, but their own sites. I'm a massive fan of Melissa Etheridge, and I know she does her own kind of super fan monthly subscription. So I think maybe as a future... We need to all be kind of thinking along those lines of, okay, maybe people are not buying CDs anymore or they're, you know, not buying as, you know, like they used to. What else can we give them um, that is unique, that is interactive with us, that is of value to them? And I think that's the question. And the question that I'm asking myself right now, and hopefully coming up with some things to kick off in the new year.
0: Well, you know, um, one of the things I, 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 when I look at streaming um, and you look at it logically, a bulk of their content really comes from the independent artist community. You know, you said that there is this huge amount going up every single day, but most of that's coming from us, you know, the independent music uh, community. And you can't continue to expect artists to go into the studio, hire musicians, hire producers, you know, hire studios, create these projects and then not give them at least the opportunity to break even. Um, The pay scale for streaming is really skewed heavily towards the major labels where they get a bulk of that, um, that pie only because they were able to make a deal with Spotify and so on and so forth to put their music on there, which, you know, that's what really attracts people is those major artists, but it's those independent artists that still make up most of their content and we need to do something to basically change that dynamic we need to have more equity in the pay scale for independent artists what do you think needs to happen to give us that equity to kind of write that ship
8: uh, I mean that's a very interesting question um the trouble is though with Spotify and I don't know what it's like with Pandora but obviously a lot of the official Spotify playlists are obviously more full of artists that are either on a label or have spent a lot of money in promotion Usually with a label, even if it's you know small and you know you know sort of independent, how it could be rectified. I think the other thing is we've got to consider the quality of what we as what consumers will be listening to. So I've been sent some tracks that people have uploaded to Spotify. had uploaded to Spotify and they weren't up to a sonic level that you would expect from a track on a major platform. So I think quality control sonically, like you wouldn't get a track that's not properly mastered being played on radio. And, you know, really. So you really need to kind of, I think, and I'm not throwing everything back at the artists, But I think then on one level, there needs to be a little bit of kind of quality control. I think it would help if kind of people didn't just play music in the background as well. I think that happens a lot. I think the way that we interact with music and the way that kind of younger people interact with music a lot of the time is that it's not really of the massive importance than it has been to maybe you or I or some other people. I mean, I know I'm making a sweeping generalisation, but there's a lot of music played in the background. It's like it doesn't, as you see, it doesn't have the weight of previous Years like a new album from whatever David Bowie or whatever. It doesn't have the weight of that. It's kind of like oh, you know, it'll be oh, I'll put the Spotify playlist on. I just want to listen to chill out tracks for a while. Right. I'm not well, really taking in what that track is. I'm just kind of spinning it around.
0: Well, you know, how I, it go on. Yeah, I, I think I think the consumers today are really they're listening to music differently, and 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 percent like you, you know they're not you know in my day you know i'm i'm an old guy i you know i grew up in the in the 60s and the early 70s was my musical awakening and you know you would take an album it was a physical journey where you took the the album you put it onto the turntable you put that needle down and you would listen from front to back you would turn it over and listen to front to back You know like you know dark side of the moon it was a it was an a a musical and emotional journey that you that you went on Mm
7: -hmm. today
0: I think that people are creating soundtracks for either their activities or or their life you know my my driving home from work soundtrack my workout soundtrack it's it is more of a background music kind of thing but it has pluses and minuses to it. Number 1, I don't think the consumer today really cares what the genre is of the music that's in their playlist. They pick the music to fit that mood as opposed to finding the music that fits that genre. That, yeah, that I totally do. agree. So in a way it frees up musicians and and songwriters to kind of expand out of their normal genre world into other things where they can kind of expand out i think in the future diversity is going to be more important than adherence to a genre that you may or may not think your fan base lives in you know what i mean
8: I think that can only be a positive thing. And I think especially for me, because I think we've all, have always been accused of, well, she's not blue. She's not rock. She's not this. She's not that. And, you know, I discussed that with um, just a name drop, uh, the Rolling Stones producer, Chris Kimsey. And I was saying this to him. I'm really worried. You know, uh, this was about the album previous to this one. People will be asking what the genre is and people, you know, and he'll just say, Rebecca, it sounds like a Rebecca Downs album. It's got your it's got your voice on it. Don't worry about it, because I've got blues influences. I've got jazz influences. I've got pop influences, rock influences, country influences. I guess my voice has always sounded bluesy, so He's got that overtone. But for me, that can only be a good thing. Well, and I think, you know, I think that's a, that's a good thing that, you know, maybe it'll open a little, a few more doors to also the fan base that you're working with, that you kind of take them on a journey as well.
0: Well, you know, and I agree because, you know, I've always been of the mindset that the blues is a living, breathing art form that must evolve. Uh, if you don't allow it to evolve then it will die Uh, yes you know Muddy Waters was an innovator not an imitator Um, Mm. you know he you know uh, uh, James Cotton was an innovator you know Willie Dixon was an innovator you know he experimented with Latin rhythms and and different time signatures and he was a you know a true musician The only reason that we call it blues is because it's it's what came out of them, out of their experience. You know, I've never picked cotton. I've never experienced that. So I can only speak to my truth as you can only speak to yours. Does it make it any less bluesy? No, it doesn't. It just expands it out, expands the genre itself into uh, more of an emotional mindset of different experiences. I I wish
8: everyone thought like you, Richard, because you could have literally took the words out of my mouth there with everything that you said. And I think, but I think a lot of, some of the blues community, I was going to say a lot, but I think some don't see anything other than, okay, it's got to be a 12-bar, it's got to be this, it's got to be that. And I think the same as you. I think if the genre and the the essence of the genre is to live on then it can only live on if it expands and grows
0: and, and i agree 100% and, and let's be honest those blues uh, purists let's call them that it'd be nice um, they're they're dying off anyway so you know we want to live with them long <laughs> yeah, they're going away. they're going away so you know and you know one of the things i think um, that has been happening lately too is this and you had kind of alluded to it earlier is that the brand now has become the new product Um, and social media marketing and content creation really blew up over the course of the pandemic because a lot of artists had no no other way to connect to their fans so they they went on you know Facebook live they started to create content and it also became almost like a reality show for a lot of artists where they were giving their fans this behind-the-scenes kind of um, uh, look into their lives. And, you know, let's face it. The last 25 years, we've been pounded with reality shows. So, we're, the whole consumer mindset is very acclimated to that kind of content. Um mm. And a lot of artists have picked up on that. What are some of the things that you're doing that is allowing your brand to kind of expand using social media and content?
8: Well, I think for me, um, well, a lot to be honest. Facebook is because of the kind of music that I create and the majority of people that listen to me, if they're on social media They are on Facebook, not necessarily Instagram or, you know, there's way fewer on that. So Facebook, for me, has been a multifaceted thing. And it's been a way of, as you say, over the pandemic as well, it kind of changed. But a way of connecting with people over the last sort of three, four years and showing more of myself personally. As the person that I am, than I ever thought I would share. And one of the most important things to me, and this is where numbers don't matter to any artist. and I'll explain why. Okay, so the Facebook page, you know, it's got I don't know a few, you know, a few thousand, ten thousand likes or whatever. Okay, that's that's fine, that's great. But I've got a Facebook group which is was started as a fan group by somebody else. Um, And those people on there, a few hundred people, are so important, we are so connected, and they are so supportive of me and everything that I do that if I need help with something, if I um, need something, if I need support, in a way, you know, for a radio thing or anything like that, I will go to them. And, you know, and they will come with me and they will help me. And this little group, I mean, we've got email subscription as well, which is, you know, again, it's kind of like hardcore followers that are really sort of supportive and dedicated. But the group is like this. And it has become a little family. It's actually, I changed the name of it because I hate the word fans because I just think it, well, it's synonymous of fanatic, which I don't like. So I've changed the Facebook group name to the you know the RD family because people on there will be interacting with them they'll be meeting each other at festivals that I'm on they'll be offering lifts to people to get to the gigs they'll be meeting up in pubs before bars before the gigs they'll be so for me what really is important is not the numbers is that connection and that little family that's been built so that we know each other you know people know each other i've had two people that have met at a gig and either got married or are now together you know two lots of like pairs and it's just that's for me that's the important thing though you know that that real supportive element and that connection I try to, for as much part as I can, on the the actual page, reply to every single comment, if I possibly can, or at least like it, or whatever. But usually I try to reply to every single comment, because, and every single message, because, again, it's that, for me, the audience is number one. The connection that I have and that I nurture and build with them is the most important thing. So for me, that's where social media comes into play, where an email wouldn't really do that. It doesn't have the immediacy, even though we've still got that going on. Whereas, you know, we used to have, you know, old fanzines and things like that. So that, for me, is what it's brought alive, that you can actually build that connection between a group of people and yourself, which is a beautiful
0: thing. Definitely. Now, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And uh wanna give everyone out there an indie blues double shot from your new release. You guys are gonna love this. Turn it up. Now.
3: to
7: scream my name. make you shout now honey. make you
0: shout. whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them making a is the place for you for the music fan We bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution.
7: you Shout now, honey. Gonna make you
9: shy. Make you shy. Make you shy. You're a model of flawless design. I can't help but feel butterflies.
2: Every time you are by, you make me want to throw away my story. could be a new rescue, rescue
5: I know these feelings have been long overdue Come out, go, oh Wear me like your favorite
2: clothes Say you love me Everybody needs to know Dress or see, baby You're made for me You take my heart And put it on your
9: sleeve Bitter heartless, I've been cold and dead Cut my heart off from my head Stuck in someone else's Who's this? Told myself I'd never ever fall, fall, fall I said life's too short to let them have it all 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 right
2: Yeah Uh, I know these feelings have been long overdue
5: She's a midnight lover I can't wait To the clock strikes well It's the only time That a husband is not there. He works all night, and my wife is home all day. You wanna get me killed little wife is home all day. Well, you surely gonna get me killed. Cause every Fool mm-hmm.
1: Too. A little too much I said don't fly too close to the sun It might hurt you Such a beautiful soul Gone too soon With a big open heart From the earth to the moon Here. Let me show you.
10: this.
6: phone.
11: Telephone. All the time you telephone.
4: The moment you realize, how could there possibly be this many blues?
0: Hit by a truck, and you were lying out in that gutter dying, and you had time to sing one song. Huh? One song.
12: Got the blues on my That's it. Move on.
1: <laughs>
12: Sound great, brothers. We're
1: tracking in history right now, y'all.
12: No grave, gonna hold my body down when I hear that trumpet sound. Gonna rise up out the ground to hate. No grave, gonna hold my body down. A prison, as cruel as a grave, shame is a robber, and he's come to take my name, love is my redeemer, who lift me from the ground, love is the power, where my freedom song is found. Ain't no grave grave. Hold this body down there ain't no grave Ain't no grave Gonna hold this body down When I hear that trumpet sound I'm gonna rise up out the ground There ain't no grave Gonna hold this body down Mm. Over yonder was the battle Was the war between death and life Then on the tree The Lamb of God was crucified He went on down to hell Took back every key. He rose up as a lion and he said all captain free. Ain't no grave. Could hold his body down. Ain't no grave. Ain't could hold his body down. When he heard that trumpet sound, he rose up out the ground. Ain't no grave, give a hold his body down. Ain't no grave, hold my body down.
0: My show for tonight I hope you enjoyed yourself I hope you heard some artists That you didn't know about And enjoyed some artists That you did And remember All of these artists that I played On this show are out there Right now Touring and creating new Original music rooted in the blues If you want to keep The blues alive You have to support the artists who are out there creating that new music. Because it is a living art form that is being performed every single night somewhere in the world. So, if you get a chance, stop by our website at makingascene.org. You can find out about some great new artists and the ones that we played on this show tonight. Add them to your playlist and you can discover them on website so till next time this is lahamadou tech i'm out of here
3: baby just gone away Dr. to face left home with my friend that gone lost my dog i'm alone just fought somebody i mean found it funny i got knocked in the head man my old friend's I lying anything